Welcome back, Rebels. I've been thinking a lot recently about careers. And if you went back and spoke to us five, even like even as little as five years ago, yeah. we would be so caught up in who the next client is, what the business is doing, what our revenue is, who our staff is, what are our outgoings, what's our rent, all of these like pressures of like, let's get the next job in, let's go to this meeting. Yeah. That we never would zoom out like maybe it's a pandemic thing, but we would never zoom out like we have recently and really looked at ourselves and like what a career actually is. A lot of that has come from just having the show and interviewing the people that we've talked to. Because I think like when you're in it, like especially like when we started our business, we didn't really know anyone else who had businesses. We didn't know anyone else who was like successful at what they were doing. We were just kind of like in it, just going along with whatever we, whatever was coming at us. We were just like fight like firefighting basically it's like we need to do this we need to do this we need to do this it was kind of non-stop and I think as soon as you start to meet people who are a bit outside of that who've already kind of like they've they've gone through all of that already and then they've kind of settled on the other side they've learned a lot and then as soon as you start to see that and you can kind of like look up to people who are like that it's almost like we've kind of found role models and I think if we'd have had people like us back at the start it would have been very different I even think about like the kind of media we consume now is so different to when we first started like we would have just watched stupid funny videos on the internet or just listened to music or there would have been nothing that was kind of like business or anything like that related we were just kind of like trying to work it out and make it up as we were going along but there's so much out there now for like if you're starting a business everything you need to know is online all the role models are out there like a click of a button um i think that's probably where the difference is i reckon there's that saying you're the sum of the five people you spend the most time with. And I really believe that you're the sum of the content that you consume. And yeah. I think the more, and it's probably it's probably the last four or five years where I've really started to get getting into listening to people like Tom Bilyeu, people like Gary Vee. And at first I think it was the the fact that they were kind of motivational that got me into it. But then the more that I was listening, the more it turned into more self-reflection. And then the desperate need for action and realizing that when I watch all these YouTube videos with the rousing music behind them, that the number of people actually watching these compared to the people that were actually putting in action. Because I used to get scared when I watched these videos. Like you'd be like, oh shit, the secret's out. Like all I need is self-belief and a good work ethic. And then I'm going to be really successful. That means I've got so much competition. And then when you actually start to do that you realize yeah. no one else is bothering they're they're loving the adrenaline of watching the video but they're not actually taking the action to to make these things happen you realize oh actually well all i need is my my self-belief and my work ethic and i'm going to be fine and actually actually you are because so few people are actually going to put those things into action but yeah it's it's definitely been consuming that content and making this conscious decision of going after the career and the life that i want um, and and really like like making it happen like putting the putting your f- first steps down on the road actually implementing the things that I'm listening to the 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 experts that have done this stuff that has worked for them just implementing that stuff into my life gradually bit by bit there's been such a a gradual but massive change over the past few years yeah and talking about like the content you consume I feel like I really see that in myself like when I look at the kind of things that I believe in are basically when I think about it it's all of the things I consume just put together and I think this is why it's important as well to have quite a diverse set of things that you're consuming because if you're just consuming the same person all the time you're just going to become a mimic of that person and then suddenly there's no uniqueness there 
you're just a watered down version of the person that you're consuming all the time um which i think can can be really dangerous because it's like then suddenly you're never going to be unique you're never going to be the best at what you do because yeah you're just copying that whereas actually when you start to find your own voice is when you start to find lots of different sources that you find interesting and bring them all together yeah 100% like no one person has all of the right answers and i think that's why we try and get diverse guests on the show and it's it's so fascinating the the knock on effects that it's had on our lives through just each week talking to a person who has made a success of what it is that they do and i i think that's why well, I, I spoke about having confidence the other the other week like that's what's given me so much of my confidence is just looking at other people that have done stuff they had the balls basically to start putting work out into the world and that has given me a huge amount of confidence. I've seen it written on Twitter before where people say, no one ever does a podcast with all, all the people that are failing. But I feel like you're not going to learn anything from the people who are not who have not got the formula together. And when you yeah. look at the people that succeed, they're just the people that like didn't give up. And I feel like if you interview all the people that are failing, then it would just be like, oh yeah, I tried to do this thing and it didn't work. So I stopped doing it. Um, yeah, whereas yeah. everyone we spoke to, we speak to, has had a million failures along the way, but they kept on. It's like, oh, I did this, it didn't work, so it forced me to do this, and that's that's why this happened, and and then it's just a whole domino effect from there. Yeah, that's really interesting, and I think yeah, it's it, it's like uh, Tori said to us, isn't it? It's like you only fail when you stop, and it's like if that podcast existed, it would be people who didn't have enough kind of belief in themselves, I suppose, to actually make it work, and they're like, okay, well, this isn't going to work, so I'm not going to continue anymore instead of taking that so-called failure and then being like, okay, well, what did I learn from this? I'm going to not do that the next time and the next time and the next time. Because like so many people never succeed on their first thing. And I think that's the important thing about just getting started. If you get started expecting there's a good chance you're going to fail on this first thing, rather than if it fails, the world's going to end. It kind of takes that little fear off a bit. And then it's like, if you realize, okay, well, maybe on the 10th time I start a business, that's when it's going to be so successful then actually the first few don't matter so much and they kind of like feel a bit more kind of fun and bit you worry a bit less about it but it will never but it will be, never be 10 though right because you you're going to learn enough in the first like if you fail three times then you're either going to learn from that that this is not the path for you or you're going to learn yeah, what yeah. went wrong and you're going to adjust i feel, i feel like everyone talks about failure and and how oh you should embrace it and whatever it's like we don't embrace failure. Like we don't try and fail, like fail forward or fail often and all of those phrases. Like we yeah, don't try yeah. and do that. Everything we do, we try and be successful at. And so where we have failed, the few times that we have failed, we just take those learnings and just d like don't apply them again. Yeah. And I think like the time you spend with the failure as well, like if something doesn't work, I'm just like, cool, next thing. And you just straight on to the next thing. I'll see if this one works then. Rather than yeah, just really dwelling in the fact that something hasn't quite worked the way you wanted it to. And it's like the quicker you can get through that and start the next thing, then the more chance that next thing has to succeed because you've learned from what you've just done there. Yeah, so I think so much of it just comes down to kind of that, that initial bit of bravery at the start. And like, there's definitely a difference between like bravery and confidence because bravery is when you, it's the unknown. It's kind of going into something you've never done before. And it's hard at a start. You have to be brave, but it's only through being brave that the confidence is going to come that's going to allow you to keep going forward, keep getting better, to make it so like when you're trying your third thing, your fourth thing, or maybe your tenth thing, like who knows? Like how don't know how many times you're going to try something. Um, 
but it's it's through doing it all those times that the confidence is going to come and i feel like that's where we're so confident now is because we've got the experience because we were brave once and that allowed us to grow this confidence that now means that if we go into anything we're going to approach it in a really confident way yeah that's that's a really good distinction to make bravery is is so important and it's one of the hardest things to do and I, when I talked to David Park, who's this week's guest, because I've had some offline conversations with him as well, and I, I really feel he embodies bravery. He is never afraid to just throw himself into a completely new situation, including moving to brand new cities, which I, I have so much respect for. I think it's the, I think it's one of the hugest things that you can do is just move to a new place and just go, I'm going to make it work here, and then do it again and move to somewhere else and make it work there as well. I, I, I just love that determination of, and, and bravery of, I'm going to make this work. If everyone can just be a little bit brave, then it's like, just be brave with something you've never done before. And then the confidence will come from there and you can do that going forward. So for like David as an example, he was brave to move to the first city, but then when he moved to the second one, the fear wouldn't have been there in the same way that it was the first time, even though it's equally a scary thing. He's still going into a situation where he wouldn't know anyone, where it's a whole different scene, a different culture. And so, yeah, it's just like, if we all are just a little bit more brave, we will achieve so much more. And he's smart as well. Like uh, we had a call the other day because he's thinking of moving to London. And, but before, like, rather than just throwing himself into it, he's smart. So he calls me and he's like, I'm thinking of moving to London. Like, is it is it going to be possible for me to make it as a mural artist over here? Like what, like what's the commission situation like? Have you got any walls that I can use, et cetera, et cetera. Just like, like laying the path, laying the foundations before he gets here. So um, be brave, but don't be stupid. Like, like plan, <laughs> plan it. Don't just throw yourself into stuff. Like, like look at everything that could possibly go wrong and then, and then plan for it and then, and, and just be smart. And then you're going to reduce the the risk of that failure. Be, be brave, be smart, be like David Puck. Uh, he's an amazing artist, muralist, makes a lot of work about the queer community and has an amazing style and and just a great energy. Um, really enjoyed chatting to David. Hi, David. Hi. How's everything going, dude? I'm good. I'm feeling as chaotic and disheveled as usual, but that is that is the vibe. Let's take it back, back to the early days. Um, were you disheveled, but also uh, an artistic kid? Was art always like kind of the thing, the driving force? Yeah, I think like I always loved drawing. It's like very classic. That was my little escape. I felt much more comfortable like drawing by myself than I did in other situations. I was actually a really like shy child. So I would say I was less chaotic for that reason. Um, Because I'd be much more likely hanging back than I probably do now. Um, But yeah, I loved it since I was really young. And I, I recently found some like sketchbooks when I was like 12. And it's still pretty similar to what I'm doing now. Like all the subjects I chose were really queer. There was a lot of drawings of Bridget Jones. <laughs> um, <laughs> and like I always was drawn to portraits as well, um, drawing people even when I was really young. I really love that with an artist when when you look back and there has there has been no change. Because like, cause if I look back on my stuff, it's all over the place and my brain's just going in a million different... And I, I wish it was like yours if there's just this like clear path of of this led to this led to this yeah that's interesting i think for myself i've always thought it's because like i had a very like strong i don't know how deep too fast we want to get but i had a very strong reason for why i was drawn to what i was drawn to and then on top of that i took a massive break from art from high school until i was 27 i like did very very little so when i came back to it i was like 
I kind of picked up where I left off. So in some ways, it's only like three years. Oh, wait, I would have been 26 then. So th- uh, three years later now that I'm still on that journey. So maybe maybe something else will call me in the future. But for now, it's been figurative all the way. I think we want to get deep straight away. So uh, <laughs> you, you touched on it there. Like, yeah, tell us, what was it? Uh, so I didn't understand this at the time, obviously. But um, so a really important aspect to myself, my life and my work, um, firstly, is queer culture, which I kind of mentioned with the Bridget Jones comment. But on, also it's mental health. And I'm like currently studying to be a counsellor. Um, I'm at the beginning stages of that. And I just, I have had my own like mental health journey and journey with therapy and different types of therapy that have been so impactful upon my life and also explains why I'm not as shy as I used to be as a child. And um, I now understand it, or at least my like narrative that I've developed through how I understand myself is uh, like, I'm drawn to portraits because I, as a child, I really wanted to be connected with people and understand people. And especially as I got older, like I've always been so confused by people and fascinated by how we all view the world in like such different ways and how I often didn't feel understood or understand other people. So like drawing them was a way to try and understand them and like therefore perhaps understand myself. So I also, um, the, when I took that big break, from high school to when I came back to painting, I like studied history at uni. And that was for the same reason. It was like, I want to understand people. And um, in some ways, I think I'm still on that journey. It's like part of mental health is really about, is about perception and different people's perception and specifically in treatment about why for certain people that ends up going down a path that can lead to things like depression and other types of issues. Um, So yeah, it was very much that. So it's kind of, I am like a sociable person now and I feel good about my social life. So this is not a sad story, but um, I, I had this realization a couple of years ago. I was like, I'm painting all of these people because what I really want is to be connected to people, uh, which is kind of odd. And do you think it's that connection you're now having with people that you didn't have when you were younger? You're now realizing like how much you've grown. And is that why you want to kind of help people with, through the counseling? Yeah, for sure. Just seeing the tra- the transformation in myself, like even in the last, it's still an ongoing process. Like I just started trauma, a specific type of trauma therapy called IFS like six months ago. And that alone has like radically changed huge aspects of myself. Um, even if it doesn't change necessarily what I'm doing, it, it changes the internal experience so much, like to a huge extent. So I'm, I'm a huge advocate for therapy when possible or other like avenues for support and treatment that people can find um like actually this type of ifs you can get a book where you're able to do it on yourself which i think is an amazing accessible route for people that can't afford therapy what's ifs ifs it stands for internal family systems and so it's quite it's quite complex but i think and i'm obviously not a professional uh yet so i encourage people to kind of google that but um Basically, what it is, is it's a model of how this, how the brain and the self works, and it understands the self as parts. So we all have different parts. And in common language, we say this, like, a part of me wants this, and a part of me wants that. It's very, like, intuitive. So for myself, I have my perfectionist part, my analytical part, cynical, achievement, cautious, um, like the cheerleader, and... These parts can change over time, but they can also get fixed. 
And when you experience trauma, which I personally think a lot more people than we realize do experience, at least in, in, a, in, a, in a perhaps less intense way than we usually understand trauma is like abuse or something. Um, and those parts can become fixed and you can end up developing these intense coping mechanisms such as perfectionism, which was one for me. And so by understanding how these different parts all work within the whole, the, this particular form of therapy teaches you to resolve the trauma through things like EMDR, which is another uh, method used in trauma therapy, um, and also resolve the self to kind of find what is often used in uh, spiritual language as being like your your like authentic self, your true self, not not a self that's kind of reacting to your conditioning or or to fear. Um, so it's it's a model of thought, and then with that, a, a treatment for for trauma and kind of integration of self. And the the effects of it are really powerful. And I have multiple friends who are also coincidentally using this same system at the moment. And for all of us, it's been like life changing. Taking it through into your art. This is maybe me reading too much into it. But when I look at your stuff is kind of allowing the paint to behave how the paint wants to behave and like kind of the splash here or the spray paint like drifting off here and then leaving it. Is that you dealing with the perfectionism of like, let me just let this paint do what it's doing instead of continually shaping it? Mm. Yeah, it's, it's interesting that I think... Um... So the initial style that I was doing was all about using these like chaotic abstract forms that I didn't have much control over, like using spray paint super close to the canvas for small pieces or, or like splatting and dripping. And one is because I just like the aesthetic of that. It appeals to me, but um, related to perfectionism, I actually think it was a coping mechanism for perfectionism with art, because when you do that, when you release control of the medium, I, it's not up to me anymore. I, it doesn't matter if it's perfect or not because I'm not the one controlling it. Like it's beyond me. So it's kind of, it kind of takes away that pressure I was putting on myself to make everything perfect. Um, so it, it mm. works really well and it was very satisfying, but I think in terms of the exploration of myself, it was kind of running around the perfectionism instead of confronting it, which is why the more recent work that I've been doing, I've actually been like more a part of what every aspect of what I'm doing because I'm challenging that in myself, um, challenging that kind of fear. So doing like abstract work is is definitely an interesting process in that way, um, trying to let go. And when dealing with that perfectionism, how do you then know when a piece is finished? I've never had too much of an issue with that aspect of it. I think because you just, you have to, you have, you have to finish at some point and definitely overworking pieces for a long time, which I did do slowly kind of taught me instinctively to know like when I'm about to overwork it. I actually think I still overwork a lot of the work that I do. Like I'm really interested in super loose, loose forms that people do. Whereas what I create still tends to be very tight. Um, which isn't doesn't necessarily mean overworked. It's just a stylistic choice. But for myself, I'm interested in pulling that back even even further. Uh, so it's an it's like an ongoing process, though. You know, I don't 
entirely have an answer to that because I'm still exploring it. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. I think the idea of slowly over time kind of like stepping back and kind of like almost stopping or kind of being looser as you go along kind of because I think quite often when you paint something you're like you're always thinking about what the audience might perceive this piece as or how what their view of it's going to be and I think quite often we put such a high expectation on what the audience is going to react to that sometimes we keep going and we keep going and that's when we overwork it but actually by slowly stepping back and slowly kind of like being a bit looser kind of finishing a bit sooner and realizing actually the audience still gives you the positive reaction that you would have thought they would have given you if you carried on going then actually yeah it's quite freeing actually to to maybe do that a bit sooner rather than kind of getting really deep into a career and then like stepping back a hundred percent and I, I had that uh, realization recently when i was just back in la because i used to live there clearing out my storage locker and i had all these half finished pieces not even half finished like 10 percent finished pieces and instead of throwing everything away a lot of the stuff i couldn't donate I just put on my Instagram, like, hey, who's in LA? Want to come get some free stuff? Here's what I have. And loads of people came. It was actually a great, great way to meet up with friends. If you like want them to come see you, just offer to give them free yeah. stuff. <laughs> and and uh, people loved these 10% finished pieces. And they're like hanging them on their wall. And I was looking at them like, okay, you know, it's finished for you. So that's great. <laughs> that's funny because like, I feel like uh, yesterday or the day before I was on Instagram and someone you did a sponsored post uh, that targeted at me that was basically like a canvas that was just like a portion of a body, but it was basically 5% of a body just kind of, and then maybe like the outline silhouette. So really, really minimalistic. But I was like, that's really nice. And it's like that person, like where they've kind of decided to finish is so different to someone who's decided, actually, I'm going to do a full realistic photo reel, full body that's like complete and anatomically correct. But this other person decided, actually, I'm just going to do this really simple little piece. And it looked probably just as beautiful or maybe even more beautiful than the complete thing. Yeah, for sure. And I think also what I found was really valuable was doing time lapses of my work because that because I forget because I'm in the flow and I'm creating. I forget what a piece looked at earlier. So when I rewatch the time lapse, there's multiple moments that I'm like, oh, I could have actually finished there and that would have been nice. Or like that with like a couple extra bits could have been an alternative route to go that I didn't know at the time. Um, so I found that like super valuable for myself also. Don't do the audience's job for them. Um, I feel like as artists, we're so much of it should be our own decisions, but so much of it should also be like if someone finds it beautiful, it's up to them that they find it beautiful. Because I always find when like if an artist comes to me and shows me their sketchbook, I'll go through and I'll say, oh, that's amazing. Like that piece there. And they'll be flipping on going, no, no, not that one. Like, no, you want to see this one. Like, this is the one. And then I'll flick it back and be like, no, no, it's it's this one. Because you can't, like, everyone is going to take something different away from the piece. And I think, I don't know who it was. Um, I saw an article recently and it was it was some famous artist. And they were saying like, on average, like they, they'd worked out the numbers and 10% of their paintings became like famous, well-known paintings. And everything else that they made was, is not famous. It still sells for big money because of whoever the name artist. I can't remember the artist, but and it's like everyone decided that these were the these were the famous pieces that deserved all the attention and everything. And I guess like for me, I just feel like I'm gonna keep cranking it out. You guys can decide what you take from a piece. Like you can tell me if it's good, and I'll kind of listen and 
and I'll always try and hit it, but I know that I'm not always going to hit it. Uh, yeah, a hundred percent. I think letting go of that, like desire to control how the audience perceives something is really powerful because then it allows you to do exactly what you want to make without having to think about, oh, how is someone going to perceive this or are they going to like it or not? And I actually, we're interesting, had a conversation with a really good friend of mine, Alex Salia, who's an animation director in LA, um, like amazing artist as well. Um, and we were talking about this with storytelling also, that if you, because I like to write too, and I find myself sometimes being too prescriptive with the writing because I'm trying to control what the reader is feeling, like literally telling them like the character is feeling this way. Whereas like, that's not how you write a good story. Like you have to allow the reader space to feel and interpret themselves. Otherwise you end up with mm. this like, menu of a book where it's literally just telling you too literally and i think you can do that in painting also it's harder to do it it's harder to do it that badly but <laughs> it is possible to do it <laughs> when you started doing murals i feel like i feel like if you start as a graffiti artist it's one thing but i feel like if you're if you are just an artist that that paints canvases making that jump over to murals is quite a big jump i think what was it that kind of inspired you to to go bigger scale and how did you find that transition because i think there's probably people listening who would love to have a go at murals but they're scared about the various like um, obstacles that are in their way yeah pe people get really intimidated by it and i find especially a lot of um queer artists that i meet because they they feel like they're not going to be like welcome out in public space or for other things that have happened in their life so i'm always really encouraging of people to try it out and to find spaces where you can try it and, out. And to put their mind at rest, like like you're, you've had overwhelmingly like positive responses to your work, right? Yeah, yeah. They shouldn't be worried. Yeah, It's been great. I mean, the one thing I would say is that I have a lot of conversation with female um, muralist friends where depending on where you're painting out on the street, it's a huge issue of harassment. But that's not a reason to not do it. It's just an important conversation in muralism that needs to be had. Obviously, mm -hmm. that's not my place to do it because I don't identify as a woman. But but that is like something to consider that you're in public space with people around you. Um, but in terms of like how the work is received, like creating whatever work you want out, I I've had yeah I've had a great response to it. And I mean, the only times that I've had I think a negative reception that would have been received by anyone in that context. It wasn't specifically about me. Um, so it could even be a good test if you like want to build your confidence in your work. It's like, there's nothing like putting it out huge in the street and realizing, oh, people don't hate this to be like, I'm actually doing pretty good. Let's like carry on with this. What's, what's the first thing that an artist needs to do in order to make that jump? I, I guess the, the most important thing is finding a space, right? Because I think this is the thing that a lot of people butt up against. They're like, I'd love to do murals, but where where do I start? And for me, that's just knocking on people's doors and asking. Yeah, I so I started, I sorry, I kind of jumped over your initial question. The, re the reason I got into it, there were kind of various factors. I like the phrase a perfect storm that just came together. So I was living in um, Germany and Berlin and that's where I started painting like full time when I came back to it. Like I said, after this long pause and I was just painting, painting, painting every day. It was um, this spiritual, like crazy experience. Like sometimes I wouldn't leave my house for four days at a time. And I felt like I was 17 again, just like painting like mad. 
And I started using spray paint um, because I, I'm not really that interested in the base of, of work. Like I found the most like satisfying part to me were the details and the highlights. So spray paint was a way to get this interesting base down like super fast. And so the more I was using that, I was like, oh, well, people on the street use spray paint and I have a load of spray paint. I could do this. And in Berlin, they have um, some like free graffiti walls, like graffiti parks where anyone can go and do it. And I think that's like a really good option to then jump to your second question for people that want to try it out. If you can find that in your area, because then you don't because it took me like a good like year of painting big before I had the confidence to go and knock on someone's door. Um, and even, right. even now I can find that just in a like social sense, like kind of difficult to do. So to get just some practice and some confidence in a portfolio under your belt, like spaces where, you know, you can do whatever you want. Um, and it'll get painted over in like three days anyway, by someone else is <laughs> actually like really handy. And I'm pretty sure they have them in the UK as well. At least I've, I've seen some, yeah. there's a website where you can search for free walls. Yeah. Legalwalls.net. Yeah. Um, so that was how I started. And then I just did, I did those. And then the reason I was drawn to it was for a lot of conceptual reasons, like putting queer work in public space was really important to me and still is. Um, and also like. I'm a very sociable person. I love traveling. I love experiencing life. So murals felt like a way for me to get out of the studio because after that initial six months of like not leaving my house for days at a time, I was like, damn, I actually want to be around humans again, <laughs> not just be in my room. Yeah. <laughs> and I think you're, you're doing such great work to open these doors so that, because it always takes a first person to start to, to come out and like trailblaze and lead the way. Um, but hopefully, yeah, we can have more more of these conversations. Yeah, so I think it's great. And I, I know a lot of queer muralists now. I think not a lot of them used to necessarily like put themselves out there so much as queer. So it's quite hard to find them. Like there's a photographer in New York called mm. Dusty Rebel who's coming out with a documentary called Queer Street Art. And it's mostly graffiti street artists. But um, I'm in there as a muralist as well. And um, he was telling me a lot about the process of finding these people. He would have to get his gaydar out and look at people's work and be like, are there any traces of something that I can recognize as queer in this? Because nobody was outwardly or very few people anyway, were outwardly like presenting themselves as. It. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that was interesting. And now I've even seen like, if you know, Squid Liquor, who's like an amazing, um, very successful painter. They've recently come out as like gender queer and queer. Like they might have been out before, but I know they're presenting it much more, like much more in their work than I remember seeing before. And um, I have like a database myself now of people because I get contacted asking, asking like, oh, do you know any queer artists in this city? So I'm like compiling it. So if you're a queer muralist, like message me, tell me what city you live in and I'll add you to the database and send you to people when they're looking. <laughs> I think so much of that comes down to like the power of role model and how if there's no one that you can look up to who believes in what you believe in putting themselves out there sometimes that's up to you to take that stand because I think from what you've just said there it just shows how it can work how you get a few people go out there kind of say this is who I am this is what I believe in and then other people who maybe didn't have the confidence to go and do that on their own then can be like okay I'm not the only one who's thinking this now I can do this too 
and then more people and more people and more people come forward until it becomes just completely normal that everyone goes to do this and people don't kind of have to live in fear anymore so i think yeah if anyone's listening to this and like you do want to kind of stand out for something if you do want to kind of make a difference in the world sometimes it, if no one's there doing it already it might come down to you to be that person who goes out there and actually makes that change because by you being brave once that can inspire a whole generation of new people to come behind you and to follow them to follow them yeah it's interesting that because like, i've never really thought about myself in that way like i'm just making the work that i like to make and doing stuff that i believe in um and i just figure there's other people doing that too and but I, when i reflect back on it like the say the first mural festival that i did it was like a graffiti festival called meeting of styles in um the canary islands and i was really afraid to go i was like really really anxious because um i didn't know how i was going to be received there um and it ended up being great like we said before like um everyone was really nice there was in it it was a great experience. Um, but so I can imagine why other people might have that same fear. Um, so I think like trust the world and trust other people that the world is a much like kinder place than we're often led to believe. Like I'm having a lot of conversation, like if, if you've ever been to America, there's a, a lot, a big culture of fear here. So I feel like it's conversations I have with people a lot about like, obviously still being safe and being like taking care of ourselves, but also like deconditioning ourselves a little bit from the amount of fear that is placed on us from when we're so young and this mistrust of strangers, this belief that everyone is out there trying to mug or kill you. And it's just not the case. Like I really believe that most people out there want the best for themselves and everyone else around them. I think a lot of times as well, like it's the that... t like the t just by being out there and being talented, that's enough to break down those boundaries sometimes like being out there being creative it's like the people you might have thought wouldn't get on with you actually once they see how great you are they're like oh and then they start to kind of actually open up that conversation because you've opened it through a different route yeah for sure i think that's the most powerful way across any um kind of like conflict or difference in demographic or like type of person is just to like talk with someone from that other demographic and like in real life because usually you realize that you have a lot of things also in common and that you're capable of understanding and talking through your differences yeah. in a way that online is much more difficult and i think kind of fuels this fire of difference between yeah between people yeah because i think once you have the conversations and it's like oh we're just all people who all have the same kind of things going on right and i think like and i think that also can be applied to things like race or like nationality yeah. as well like yeah um i think it's it's really important and to like feel comfortable i just did a piece for the eurovision song contest and this was the theme of that one is about about difference and conflict and how to navigate that and i think part of it is accepting like that we we do have differences, we do have conflict and that we can talk through that on both sides um, rather than it needing to be something that pushes people so far apart that it's then like this like unnavigable gap. Um, and I think it's a skill to be able to talk with someone who doesn't agree with you and one, which is another reason why I think mental health is so important because it's these type of these type of skills that you can learn. Um, 
And it's understandable that people find it difficult because a lot of us are traumatized. A lot of us are completely triggered by these statements that people make that um, kind of completely devalue our existence and like sense of self or like might trigger something from our past. So, so it's understandably like a really difficult ask, but I think if we can move towards that, it helps in so many ways. Um, so I, I think that applies for me. Like when I think about you saying that I'm doing something that other people weren't doing, I think I had a lot of advantages as who I am. Like I'm male presenting. Um, I was good at painting. So I felt confident to go out relatively and be like, I'm going to paint yeah. something that people like. Um, and like, I'm white. Like there's, there's a lot of advantages I had that allowed me to do that. Um, so yeah, I understand why it's really difficult for other people, but hopefully we can all like, yeah, be able to communicate more with each other. <laughs> I don't know, I'm losing my yeah. child. <laughs> I, think, I think your, I think your, your view of people probably goes a long way to answering my next question, but you're a bit of a nomad. Like you travel a lot. Yeah. You've, you've traveled and worked and lived in, in several cities um, which I think is another thing that people are kind of reluctant to do um, because it just doesn't seem possible. Um, but like how how possible is that, that sort of travel and, and work and paint and just live in different cities? How, how realistic is it to do that? Yeah, <laughs> I'm not going to say that it's easy. Because <laughs> like literally what I, especially when I look back on what I've done and do, I'm like, wow, I'm crazy. Um, I can't believe that I did that. Uh, but I've like, same with art, like I've always just kind of followed what felt right to me and also kind of moved away from what didn't feel right or what was hurting me. Um, so I didn't entirely feel like I had much choice in it. It just felt like, you know, if I'm following my like self, this is where I need to go. And um, everything that I've done has been really terrifying like painting murals outside was terrifying. Um, going away for the first, I was 19 when I first like went abroad on my own and I was terrified. Like I didn't leave my hotel for like, I think my hostel, sorry, for like five days after I arrived. I like just went outside a little bit because I was so afraid. I like didn't know what to do and I nearly went home. Um, but you know, I went through it. I, I like found a way to navigate that fear. I'm much better at navigating it now that I have the tools of therapy. I used to just like force myself through it, which over time grinds you down. So like, it's better to find the way to confront fear in like a healthy way. But, um, I did it. And mm -hmm. then I think kind of like you mentioned earlier in regards to painting, it's like you start doing it, you realize it's possible. And then that just builds. And I think it's the same with everything like learning a new skill, like trying to earn more money, um, like building relationships, like they're all, they all start at this first level and that first level can be really, really terrifying, but you just have faith that you know you're going to build and each time it's going to get, get easier and get bigger and get more possible. Um, so yeah, that's kind of what I did. And then, um, later in life I then like combined the painting with the traveling and with the moving to new places but it was like oh god it's crazy like <laughs> I'd say like my career was made properly by moving to LA and I 
funded that by why I like stumbled on a job in like medical marijuana, like trimming weed in California. <laughs> I, that's how I self-supported myself, um, to be able to start painting. Cause in my mind, I was like, if I try and do a job and paint at the same time, like I'm going to be exhausted. I'm just not going to do it because there's other things I want to do. Yeah. So I need to find a way to like circumvent that. So I would work like 15 hours a day for three months earn enough money to survive for the year, move to a affordable place and then paint nonstop. And then I would do, I did that for like a couple of years. And then after doing that, I was like, okay, I need to make money from art. Like this isn't going to last forever. Like the weed industry is changing. So I need to find a way to make money from art. Like, how do I do that? I'll move to LA. Like, I feel like there's going to be a market there. Um, there was other things involved, but I don't want to like tell too long of a story. So I like saved up a load of money, moved to LA. I knew nobody. I'd met one person traveling, but she worked in an ice cream shop. She wasn't a art contact per se. And, um, yeah, knew no one lived out of my car for the first six months. Um, and just had, to, and I didn't have that much money either. So like, I had just had to have faith that I'll be able to make money from art. And I think before that, I probably only made about $300 selling paintings, probably. I'd only sold like a few paintings and I moved to LA and was like, I'm going to do this. And I look like, (laughs) I look back at it now, like that is a crazy move that you did, but it worked out and it worked really well. And in a lot of ways, that was the move I think that allowed me to like, to develop really, really fast. Because basically the whole time I've been painting, I've been painting full time. And I think what like slows people down a lot is that they try for so long to juggle another job with painting. So they, it takes yeah. them five, six years because you're essentially only able to work a couple hours a day. So that was my like trick because even at like 27, I felt like I was so behind. Like I didn't go to art school. Um, a lot of my friends who are artists had already been like working for a long time. So I felt like I needed to kind of catch up and that was my way of doing it. Um, and I think that experience, like to go back to your question about, is it possible to travel and do art? That experience definitely emboldened me because I was like, well, if I can move to LA and make it work within a few months, I feel like I can do that in other places too. So like now I'm in New York, I hope to move to London. This is something I actually wanted to talk to David about is like what it's like being a painter in London. Cause I haven't experienced that uh, myself, even though I'm from the UK. Yeah, you're you're going to fly over here. Don't don't you worry about that. <laughs> we'll, we'll get that. We'll get all those wheels in motion. Um, that would be great. I think that's I think that's really interesting. So so when you first, what was the process of first starting to make money from your art? Was were you selling murals or was it commissions or and where did you find them? Was it Instagram or just knocking on people's doors? Like how? Because because I because I love this story. You're like living in your car. But also the clock's ticking and you're like, I've got to make this work. I've got to earn some money. So what's the first step? Yeah. Yeah. So I actually like the business side of art and like being a salesman and like facilitating sales is something I find really difficult and I'm not good yeah. at. So it's actually like now something that I'm kind of accepting as a reality. And I, I want to learn those skills because I do think it's a mindset. They're skills. You can learn them like any other. So I'm I'm slowly getting there. So my tactic was (laughs) just to put as much work out there as possible to build an Instagram following to like get the views. And I was like, 
if I get enough stuff out there, someone will want to pay me for it. And it was also my plan for developing my own style is that I, I've never been like an, I've never been someone to work to someone else's order. Like every single piece I've ever done has always been my concept, my creation. Um, sometimes I'll take on a bit of their input, but it's, I've never like had someone be like, Oh, I'll hire you to paint me a croissant or something. So, uh, so my tactic was if I just put myself out there as much as possible doing my thing, then eventually I'll be put in front of the eyes of somebody who wants what I'm already giving. So it kind of will do get the sale, but then on top of that allows me to actually paint what I want. And it's actually worked really well. And I think because the, um, because what I wanted to paint was like drag and queer murals and there wasn't really much of that happening, um, it seemed to go really well uh, and people responded to it. Um, so, yeah, so I think actually like facilitating a view into a sale is not my expertise, I'm, I, but I'm, I'm better at perhaps getting work in front of people and just like putting yourself out there as much as possible. Like the amount of like emails that I send still now, even when I do get approached for work now, I'm still like, I'm in New York. I have barely any contacts here. So I'm sending emails to queer bars to like mural projects trying to like get in there and just put yourself out there as much as possible because um I think one thing that I had when I was younger and when I was first started painting is because I wasn't that confident in my work I felt like if I put this online if it's good it should immediately get like a thousand likes and I should go viral and then people should be asking to buy stuff from me and if that doesn't happen that means that I'm not good because I was looking for that external validation. And like the more that I've been working, the more I realized that's just not the case. Like everybody, maybe some people blow up and go viral from nothing, like a very small percentage of people. But for the vast majority of people, even really successful artists, they've been grinding, they've been putting their work out there, out there, out there, and it builds and builds over time. And they've experienced a lot of rejection as well. And I still get a ton of reject. I just got rejected from a mural festival today. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that would be to add to the initial question of like, how do you convert into sales is just keep putting yourself out there as much as possible. Um, and don't be dejected by the fact that if sales aren't coming or if you're getting rejections, because that's part of the course for everyone. Um, yeah, that would be the, I don't want to talk too much. So that would be my initial like answer to that. There's more to it. But the other thing is then like, and again, this is something that I think is an ongoing process for everyone is knowing your worth and really asserting your worth and not allowing yourself to do work for free when you could be getting paid or not allowing yourself to be undervalued. And because they, the world does just still undervalue art and like thinks art can be free it doesn't really think about the 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 time and the the like human hours it takes and the money it takes to create these things. Um, so you have to assert that for yourself. And when you ask for, if you say that you are worth an amount of money, a lot of people might not be willing to pay that, but then there will be some people that are. And I think like money in itself mm. is such an illusion. Like everything is just worth what someone is willing to say it's worth and someone is willing to pay. So you are, art is like a perfect example of that. Like why is one person's work worth more than someone else's when art is subjective? Like we were just talking earlier about how a 10% finished piece can be just as like 
valuable is a piece that took a lot longer. Like it actually makes no sense. So you can kind of harness that chaos and harness the fact that it makes no sense and, and um, just believe in yourself and your worth and accept that. And that becomes easier the more experience you have doing it, the more you put yourself out there, the better your portfolio is. It all just kind of builds. Um, and you take that confidence to even eventually you're going to have to start turning down projects, which is like a bizarre place to imagine yourself in when you first start. But that becomes important because eventually you don't want to be spending your time doing projects that aren't worth your while. Um, so that's kind of getting far further ahead for someone who's like first starting out. Maybe it's like useful for them to know that eventually that's where you're going to be. But uh, definitely having like confidence in yourself and your worth and asserting it is really important. Because um, if you allow yourself to be exploited, you're going to be exploited. And that's something that I'm yeah. still like still learning myself too. I think art pricing is really interesting because I think most people who are artists have generally done it since they were younger. And when you're younger, 50 pounds is like the most insane amount of money ever. Yeah, as you kind of grow up, <laughs> right. it's like... you. It, it's hard to kind of keep adding to that to get it to a value that is actually something that you can live on. Whereas other careers you go into and you go straight into it, say like an entry level job might be like 20 grand or something. And it's like suddenly like, that's like, well, cause that's what adult jobs are priced at. But I think with art, because we kind of build on it over time, it's, it becomes quite hard to just realize what our actual value is in the market. Unless you've been in kind of a design industry or you've like a graphic designer or something like that and you've seen how much people charge for work or you worked in agencies or in those kind of spheres where you realize that actually people are willing to pay this for this and as soon as you realize as soon as you get out of the mindset of you're selling to your family and friends and kind of like your close peers there's actually a broader market out there I think putting that higher price tag on your work suddenly makes it more valuable to them as well because it's like I think we've kind of me and David have discussed before how if if you sell something for ten pounds, there's someone like putting their wall for a bit and it was going to bin after a while because they don't perceive it to have much value. Whereas if you could sell the exact same thing for five hundred, a thousand pounds, then that's something that they're going to cherish and put on the wall, and it's going to be something they'll tell people about. And to them, that has that value because it is something that they can talk about. It is something that enriches their life in some way. Mm, I really like that. I think that's a really powerful way to kind of flip the script on a lot of people's understanding of money and value and that actually like by assigning more money to this object you're you're actually giving this person more of an experience because they're going to value it more because of that that's interesting i think one of the first like um jobs that i did were uh, out of uni was working with a place in london artichoke they do huge like public art installations and they kept them free because it was all about making art accessible to the public. But a big conversation we always had was that they were telling me how um, people value free events less than a paid event, even if the free event is amazing. Yeah. They value it less. They're going to cri even criticize it more. Like Artichoke got a lot of criticism, even though they were providing millions and millions of pounds worth of content to people for free. And they, in their experience of doing paid events would be that people would be much more satisfied, which is so bizarre, but I think um, kind of like lines up with what you were saying that like undervaluing yourself is not always the best route for everyone. Like there's a way that you can construct your understanding so that 
at having more value in your work and yourself is actually better for everyone involved, which sounds like mental gymnastics, but it, it does make sense. <laughs> yeah. And I think as well to kind of like go deeper into it to fuck with minds even more. It's like as humans, we hate to be wrong. We hate to think that something we've done, something we spent our money on was the wrong thing to spend our money on or do. So I think by, say, if you went to an exhibition and it cost you £100, which I, I, I don't know if I've ever seen an exhibition that expensive, but it's, you would go there and you couldn't leave thinking, oh, that was rubbish. Because if you went and told all your friends that, then it would probably seem like you've just gone and wasted £100 and you'd look stupid to your friends. So like almost we kind of trick mm. ourselves into believing that just because we paid for it, that it was a better experience and maybe it would have been if it was free. Yeah, that's so interesting. I love I love that kind of psychological approach to it as well. It's very smart because um, that, that is how we work. Yeah, I, I think it's it's such a, I mean, pricing is one of the things we, we get asked about a lot. Um, and I just think that most creatives really undervalue what they do. And like we've just said, like you are, you are definitely giving your client a gift when when they have paid for something. It's like that does that does mean like it's such a two way street. It means that they have got a piece of value. It also means that you're then in the position to carry on making your work. So I, I think there there's a lot of uh, like guilt and shame built up around asking for money for art, and it's um it's something that I really really want to want to smash through mm. um i want people to not only ask for for money for art but to ask for a lot of money for their art because we are just as valuable contributors of to society as anyone else i think that the art has a very important place and if you're making important work that's going to enrich people's lives that they're going to hang on their walls and take joy and pleasure from there's absolutely no reason that you should feel bad for getting paid for that no reason at all mm. yeah i agree with that so um, I know you're an advocate of um, big cities um, and you, so you've done a lot of traveling, but you would always say, and would that be like a career move to end up in an LA or a London um, just because you'll, you'll find more work there? I guess what I speak, it's always from my own experience. So I, there very well could be alternative routes, but I can just tell my story and say how it worked out for me. And I just found that there, it, when you have more of a market, like in a big city or like in specific cities, like for me, I feel America works really well for this type of work that I do. Um, it just makes it easier on yourself. Uh, it gives you so many access points. And then like not like also for meeting other people, I think collaborating is a really important part of like developing your practice and your career. And like when I moved to LA, one of the things that kind of drew me in about it was that everyone is there like hungry to make things mm. happen, to do a project. They want to do it, that that energy and desire. Because I nearly moved to San Francisco, but what I found was that San Francisco, because of what's happening with the tech industry there for a while, the energy there was kind of like, we're surviving and we're trying to survive the fact that our city is now crazy expensive. Whereas you go to LA and it's yeah. full of people who move there. Like I'm going to make things happen. That, that was just my <laughs> experience of it. Like, no, I love San Francisco. So definitely not a read to anyone who lives there, but um, that's what drew me to LA was that, that energy and that desire to do things. Um, and I, and I feel like the more people you have concentrated in the space, the more likely you're going to get that. And then, and then when it comes to getting big clients, like the reason I've been on TV so many times and I've been hired by people like HBO is because I was living in LA. Like that wouldn't have happened if I wasn't there. 
like almost yeah. guaranteed. Um, so you put yourself in the space in which you want to be. And if you're in a space where the clients are small and there's not a lot of people, that's the space you're in. And like your option is more likely going to be online. Whereas, cause people I ultimately like kind of going back to your, your psychology with, uh, how people perceive value as well. Like if you think about how humans work, we're, we're sociable people. Like we, we trust and we trust other people that we know in real life. So somebody that sees your work in real life or sees it in a local newspaper or hears a friend so say, true. oh, I saw this thing, they're going to like want and value and believe in that much more than something they have no connection to. So I think it gives you like a huge advantage uh, to be in spaces in which like the people you want to work with are actually physically there. Uh, so, and I don't think that's often like talked about because I remember there's a podcast called Vantage Point Radio out of Berlin by James Bullo. And that, in, that was one of the reasons that I believed I could become a mural painter because I was listening to the stories of all these people and I'm like, oh, well, they did it. I could do it too. Like it just happened step yeah. by step. And what I noticed and what definitely factored into my choices in the future was that a lot of these people maybe they realized but it sounded like they didn't quite realize that the reason that they were meeting all these other big street artists the reason that they were getting these big clients is because they were in la they were in new york because a lot of them are from those big cities like it was quite rare to have someone who wasn't um so that like factored into my brain a lot i was like if all these people that i admire are all from these big cities there must be a reason for that it's not just a coincidence yeah i was saying to david the other day actually like something really along the lines of this because like i'm a photographer and i do like a very specific kind of photography for a very specific market and i'm obviously based in london so the market's big enough that i can do this very specific thing that i want to do all the time whereas if i was a photographer in the kind of somewhere else in the country in a small town or a smaller city they're I couldn't be so specific with what I did. I'd have to become more of a generalist because there wouldn't be enough mm. jobs to survive on doing the things that I actually want to do. So I think if you're a creative who wants to have a really specific style but targets a really specific demographic, which I think is the best thing to do to start any kind of creative thing, you need to go to the places where that can happen because if you can't do mm. it online, for example, like you can be an artist online and sell all over the world, so you could do that from a small town. But if, like for me, as a portrait photographer, you kind of need to be around people to be able to do that, um, unless everything just became like Zoom photo shoots, which just wouldn't happen on, at a commercial level. Um, so I think, yeah, being in those big cities where the market is, it's like, is, is the pool that you're going to kind of be a part of big enough for you to actually swim in? Or is it just like a little puddle? Yeah, that's so true. And I think, like you said, like being niche and being or having the ability to go niche and go like specific is so important in art, for, like carving out your own style and your own like path. And yeah, I definitely agree with that. Have you had <laughs> any kind of mentors or anyone that you've looked up to that's kind of helped you along on your journey? I've had like a lot of support and like inspiration from lots of different people, like in my life i definitely don't think anything happens by itself but there's never really been anyone that i would describe as a mentor or someone that i've like looked at what they're doing and saying like i'm gonna do that like modeling myself on them and and so 
No, not really. I kind of feel like I've just had to go out and do it like, uh, and work it out. I definitely think, like I mentioned earlier, the, um, podcasts have been like a huge influence on my life because it's given me access to people that I wouldn't otherwise be able to speak to. So I feel like I kind of have been mentored through podcasts. Yeah. But these people have never actually met me, but I've just learned from them. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, that would, I'd say that would be it. I mean, there there would be countless people I could name that have been super supportive of me and have been like great people to meet, but I I don't think I've ever had a mentor. I would love to have one if anybody anybody wants to mentor me. I stand by our uh, trailblazing. (laughs) That's that's all good. So Um, anyone wants to mentor me, go ahead. What? (laughs) (laughs) Um, So... So what advice would you give? Like, what do you think is the main thing that's holding creatives back? What advice would you give to our listeners to be more successful in what they do every day? Oh, wow. That's a big question. I think... It is a big question. Yeah. I think we've touched on so many things. I think, like, like confidence and asserting your worth and value is really important. I think, um, like... To kind of, again, draw from my own story, I would say what I even learned from myself by looking back at things that I did that I didn't quite appreciate at the time is like really roll big, like go for it, you know, like make the big move, like do the crazy painting, like have that like belief and confidence in yourself to make these big moves, um, confront whatever fear you have that's holding you back. Like go to therapy, <laughs> go to therapy and see if maybe you have like trauma or other issues that are holding you back in some way. I actually think if there's, I think I really feel like through therapy, anything can be worked out um, eventually. So if there's anything that is stopping you, it can be worked out through that mental process. And there's going to be practical considerations too, but you know, you can, you can work through those practical considerations when you have the right mindset towards it. Like we've just been talking about like money mindset is a huge, a huge element. Um, so yeah, just go for it. Like, don't be afraid. And if you are afraid, find a way to, to move through the fear and enjoy the fear. Enjoying the fear is important. David, amazing talking to you. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, could you let everyone know where they can find you online? Yeah, thank you for having me. It was really fun, uh, like really interesting conversation. Uh, you can find me on Instagram, David Puck Artist, P-U-C-K Artist. And uh, I'm mostly Instagram. I have a website by the same name. Just search that and it has all of my all of my stuff. Brilliant. Thank you so Amazing. much. Amazing. Thank you so much. <laughs>